Now, if you're here for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, we're walking our way through the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians. And uh, I, I'm, I would love to review with you everything we did last week, but I don't have, I'm not going to take the time to do that. Uh, but last week was really the foundation for uh, where we're going to be today. Last week, uh, we read in verses 6 through 9, which we're going to begin, which we're going to read again together in just a moment. Uh, we saw how Paul started his defense of what it means to follow the Lord in faith. How we begin our journey, salvation, in following Jesus by faith. And we continue that same journey, what, what one, some would call sanctification, uh, as we follow Jesus in faith. So as Paul lays out his defense for what it means to be justified by faith, he reaches all the way back centuries earlier to a man named Abraham. And so I want to read with you Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Now, if you were here last week, you're going to say, Pastor, these are the same verses, and I understand that, so uh, bear with me. It says, so also Abraham believed God. Now, now, let me point this out. When you see quotation marks, Paul's reaching back to the Old Testament. He's quoting something that was written in the Old Testament. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, if you've been tracking with us through this series of Galatians, you know that there was a group of Jews, Jewish leaders, who came into the church to say, hey, faith in Jesus is important, but it's not enough. You must also keep these rules and laws. And so Paul is going to go all the way back to Abraham, and basically here's what he's trying to say. If Abraham, who is the father of the Jews, if he was made righteous by his faith alone, without observing the Sabbath, without being circumcised, without abstaining from unclean foods, if that's how he was made righteous, then how in the world can these descendants of Abraham claim that someone today can only be made righteous if they get circumcised, follow the laws of the Sabbath, and eat, the Jewish, uh, eat, eat only clean foods according to Jewish dietary laws? And so we went back and we saw these, oh, these quotations uh, by Paul as he reaches back to Genesis chapter number 12 and Genesis chapter number 15. And, and, and what we saw is that as God spoke the gospel, as you can see behind me, it says, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. If God spoke the gospel to Abraham, then here's what we have to understand. It's going to sound different than the gospel we think of today. Like, for most of us, when we say, what is the gospel? Well, it's pretty simple. I was a sinner. Jesus died on the cross to save my sins. I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's the gospel we know, right? But if the gospel was announced to Abraham, Jesus hadn't been born yet, hadn't gone to the cross yet. So how could that be the gospel that was spoken to Abraham. And again, we covered this last week, but, but here's, here's what's important to, to understand. The gospel that was spoken to Abraham were these words in Galatians. All nations will be blessed through you. How is that the gospel? 
If we go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, were punished by being banished from the garden. But before they were, God gathered Adam, Eve, and Satan together and said, one day, let me give you hope, one day there will be a deliverer, there will be a Messiah who will come to crush the head of this tempter. That was good news to them. That was the promise of the Messiah to them. The problem was, how do we know who the Messiah is? Once this promise was given to Adam and Eve, we didn't know who the Messiah was, who this deliverer was. And all the way through to Abraham's life, there's still no understanding of who is going to be this one God is going to send to deliver us and to crush the head of this serpent. But when we get into the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12, we see God calling Abraham. He follows the Lord and the Lord says, I will make of you a great nation and gives them these blessings. And then it closes with, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is the promise that the Messiah you're going to recognize him because he's going to come through the line of Abraham. And that was good news. This was the gospel spoken to Abraham. The Messiah will come and we will recognize the Messiah through you. And then in Genesis 15, about 10 years later, an 85 or so year old Abraham is taken outside by God and said, look up at the sky. The stars you see, that's, that's how your offspring one day will be. In the, and Abraham looked up, knowing there's no way this can happen physically, earthly, but I believe God. And when he believed God, he was, it was counted to him as righteousness, and Abraham became a man of faith. Now tr keep tracking with me. That means the Jewish nation was started by faith. Abraham was a man of faith. But by the time Paul now is writing the book of Galatians, hundreds and thousands of years later, the Jews are now no longer people simply of faith. They are now saying you can only be made righteous with God by your good works. Yes, the Messiah has come, but you're only going to be rescued by the Messiah if you do what we do, because he came through the Jews. So you've got to become like the Jews. Okay. And Paul is writing to absolutely blow that contradiction out of the water. I want to read Galatians again with you one more time, the same verses, but I really want to key in on the phrases that contain the word faith. So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's writing this now. Remember, he's, he's writing to dispute these Jewish, the Judaizers who are trying to convert people to Judaism in order to become a part of the family of God. And what he writes, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the word Gentiles, think of Jews, small segment of the world. That's the Jews, the Gentiles, everyone else. Most everyone in here would be a Gentile. 
And in that time, most everyone uh, that, that Paul was speaking to here would have been Gentiles. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of And so Paul is trying to say that the people of God are people of faith, and that has always been true from the beginning. In the beginning, God gave the gospel to Abraham that, hey, yes, the Messiah will come through you, but it will be to all people. And anyone who lives by faith will be counted righteous, just like Abraham was counted righteous for his faith. Anyone who has faith will be counted righteous for your faith alone. Jeremy, good to see you, bro. I'm so glad you're here. This letter was written by Paul 2,000 years ago. refers to Abraham, who lived hundreds and thousands of years before that. What in the world does this have to do with us today in 2022? You ever wonder that? All right, so Paul wrote a letter to people who lived 2,000 years ago, and he's actually talking about someone who lived probably close to 2,000 years before him. What does this have to do with me? It's 2022, Pastor. Three thoughts this morning. Oops, number one. Righteousness is awarded, not achieved. Which means my faith in God is more important than my work for God. My faith in God is more important than my work for God. Now, when we get these two mixed up, we, and when we emphasize our works over our faith, we push God out of the spotlight and we take center stage because it's about my works. And when our works become most important, we can actually start to believe that God is impressed by our works, even though Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when we convince ourselves that my, my works are actually impressing God, then what we begin to do is we start to expect God to give us something in return for our works. And when he doesn't, Look at what I did. What are you going to give me? And when he doesn't give me what I want after I've done all these good things for him, you know what we begin to do is we begin to look at God as unrighteous. I'd never think that about God. Uh, When we don't get what we think we deserve, we certainly sometimes think of God as unrighteous. But when our faith takes center stage, This leaves us in awe. Look at it. I'm righteous. I have a right standing with God. And all I did was believe in him. And it takes our works off the center stage. It puts the God we believe in on center stage. And we sit back and go, wow, look at how he accepted me for nothing in return except my belief in him. And when we think that of God then our hearts are primed for good works. But it starts with faith. Number two, faith is evidenced through works, not words. This means my faith in God 
is displayed by my obedience to God. Right? So Paul uses Abraham's faith, and you can't forget Abraham's faith was important, but it was put to the test by works. Abraham, look up. I, I'm going to make your, your offspring like the stars of the sky. I believe that. And once he received a child, a miraculous child named Isaac, God said, now sacrifice him. And Abraham had enough faith to say, I looked up at the stars. I saw those stars. That's how my children are one day going to be. You've given me this son named Isaac. You've asked for him back. I will give him back to you. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I still believe you are going to answer that, that you're going to confirm that promise that you showed me that my descendants will be as the stars of the sky, even if I give you back this child that you asked for. And so many, we understand this, many of us do, that, uh, that as Abraham and Isaac walked that journey of Mount Moriah where Isaac was about to be sacrificed three days later, for those three days, in Abraham's heart, his son was dead. Pointing us to the three days that the Son of God truly would be. And when they get to the top of the mountain and that knife is raised over Isaac, Abraham is fully believing God will fulfill his promise. Now when we read of Abraham, it's not just, oh yeah, that's a guy of faith. But we see how his faith was displayed through his works. When we have true faith in God, I promise you, you won't have to go around telling people you are a person of faith. They'll see it. They'll see it through our obedient actions. Third, blessings are to be shared, not shielded. Which means my faith in God is working in me in order to work through me. So, so one man's faith in God's promises, Abraham had, Abraham, one man, his faith in God's promises resulted in a blessing to the whole world. Through the line of Abraham, the Messiah came into the world to bless the whole world. It was significant to the Jews, but it was never to the exclusion of non-Jews. Because we see beautiful stories of people like Rahab and Ruth, who were non-Jews, whose faith brought them into the genealogy of the Messiah. Read Matthew 1. And you're going to find the name Rahab and you're going to find the name Ruth who were non-Jews. Meaning it was never just about the Jews. It was always for the world, but it came through the faith of one person. Hey, your faith is meant to be a blessing to you. We saw that in Genesis 12 because God says to Abraham, you will be blessed. And he was. And your family will be blessed. And they were Abraham's descendants were the Jews and they brought the world the Messiah. They were God's chosen people. But here's the thing. It was never about them. It was always about the world. From the beginning, the blessings of God were intended for Jew and Gentile. Which means the blessings of your life of faith are never meant to be just for you or for your family. God doesn't 
ask us to step out in faith only to make our lives and our family lives better, although that is often what happens when we step out in faith. But rather, God asks us to step out in faith so that the blessings we receive because of our faith are then shared to others. Hey, church, our faith has to move beyond the walls of this building. Because what Abraham did is he said, you're outside of the family. But because of our faith in God, we're going to bring you into the family. You know why we are children of God today? You know why us as Gentiles are children of God today? Because we've been invited into the family through the person of Jesus. We're no longer outsiders. We're in the family of God and we did nothing to deserve it. It was his faith in his father that opened the door for us to become a part of his family. Okay, so here we go. Our faith should lead us to open the doors of our lives and say to people who are outside, who feel like outsiders, who may sometimes truly be outside, and we open the doors and we say, come on in, be a part of our family. And I have, I'm so excited to be able for you to hear how someone in our church family really did that. Their faith caused them to step out And see someone outside of the family open the doors and say, come be a part of our family. Stevie? I usually like to just speak off the cuff. I got to make sure I hold this close, they said. Um, But I'm going to follow script today. Uh, Good morning, church family. Pastor has asked me to share how God has been working in our family. And to be honest, I declined two times because it's nothing we have done. It's how God has pursued our family. And we all said yes. Noah said we could share his yes story and ours too. Years ago, I took the Lou Ray Middle School basketball position and had the opportunity to coach a kid named Noah. Immediately, I fell in love with that little rascal. A part of coaching is more than teaching the game of basketball. It's building a relationship that goes way further than wins and losses. Noah was one of those kids that a relationship immediately I made with. I told Carrie several times during the season, man, I would love to have Noah at our house, and Carrie would always say, let's do it. Around this same time, we were building a home. Carrie, every day we would go to the land, she would walk around the property It took about 10 or 11 months to build, and she would pray. She would pray, Lord, this will be your home, and even if you want us to open your home to anyone, God, we will. I would think she was absolutely crazy already taking care of me and the kids. Fast forward forward, several years later, Noah would come and he would stay, and I would always say, I love that kid, we should invite him to stay, and Carrie would give the same response, but I would say no to God. This year was a different story. Noah had been staying at our house for a lot of the time this year, 
and God kept staying on me. My daughter Savannah was invited to Raleighville Baptist for a missions trip to the Ark Encounter and came home and said that they were going to share that Sunday about their trip. So we as a family decided to go to their church and their church was, they do this thing called Yes Testimonies. And while listening to a Yes Testimony, God was saying, when are you going to say yes, Stevie? I came home ready to pack for our sheriff's office overnight summer camp that week. And it was a week long, and I asked Carrie and the kids to pray for a week about Noah staying with us. And I was gone for the entire week. I already knew my answer, but I still had to pray about it. I came home that Thursday night exhausted, ready for bed. And Carrie and I were laying in bed, and Savannah comes into my room, and she says, Daddy, I prayed all week, and I even had a dream. Noah should live with us. I, uh, Matthew then comes in and said, Daddy, I prayed all week, and I want a brother. Kenzie comes bebopping in. She's our wild one. And she said, yes, 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 and you need to tell him tonight. I leaned over and I looked at Carrie and she said, I've been telling you for four and a half years. God said, finally, open, your, open my home, Stevie. So Noah and our family talked that night. I told him he will see the messy Owens that a lot of people don't see. And I said, you will see Carrie yell at me for absolutely doing nothing wrong. <laughs> that is a true story, isn't it? And Noah's response is, Stevie, you're always wrong. <laughs> and Carrie said, I love this kid already. It's true. But little do we know that that night, Yo Noah said yes to us. And he's impacted us more than we've impacted him. That week after the yes story that I heard at Raleighville, and the week after summer camp, and up until yesterday... My devotions has been on yes. So I'm going to share how God has been reaching me. Sorry, I'm a little soft. I usually don't cry. <laughs> I find it easier to say yes to God when things are going well and life is smooth. But when God asks me to move out of my comfort zone and do something that is different or inconvenient, the yes may not come as readily as before. We have many biblical examples of yes, answers to God's call to action. But what I love about God is that he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. This is getting blurry. Noah, to build an ark, people probably thought he was absolutely crazy building something on dry land. Moses, to lead people, he was slow of speech and thought, nobody will listen to me. Esther, to save her people, knowing the risk that she could be killed herself. But there's been one person besides Jesus who stands out in my mind as an ultimate yes person, and that person is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Think about this. The once Mary said yes to the angel, she kept saying yes to whatever God was doing in her life. She said, yes, I'll go to Bethlehem with my husband, even though I'm pregnant, very pregnant. She said, yes, I'll settle for a stable. 
She said, yes, I'll agree to let all those dirty shepherds see my newborn. How many times do you have to wash your hands or Germex before we get to hold a baby today? She said, yes, I'll let my son leave home and become a preacher. And yes, I'll be with him no matter what, even at the foot of the cross. Think about that pain she was feeling to say yes to that. Maybe we tend to think that the call of God on our lives and saying yes involves just big events. I believe that our yeses to the small, ordinary things that can also make a big difference in our relationship and walk with God. The life of Mary shows that great things, important things, always begin with someone saying yes to God and then moving along one yes at a time. Thank you and God bless. Sure. He said it all. Okay. Um, Noah, would you be really embarrassed if I asked you and the family to stand? Did you, will you say yes like Stevie said yes? So if you don't know the Owens family, well, uh, Savannah on the left, Mackenzie, Matthew, and the newest member of the Owens family, Noah. And we are so thrilled uh, that God is doing a work in the midst of our church. Uh, like this. Can we give him a big hand? We've, we've seen in the last couple of years, uh, Lynn and, and Gordon, you have set such a, a wonderful example uh, for, for so many here in opening up their homes to people who were struggling, had nowhere else to turn. I know that there have been others, Jim and Betty, and, and others that have been impacted by opening up the home to say, yes. And, and I am so grateful uh, that, that we are a church family that is able to simply get around the word, read the word, see what the word says, and go home. To listen for the call of God and then to respond in obedience. That's really what a faith family is. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to continue this, this thought of opening up our lives to those who are not our family meaning our physical family. We are going to, in just a few minutes, we're going to take communion, but we're going to do it in a little bit of a different way. Uh, we're going to take communion by going to a table. There's a bunch of tables spread out. You're going to go to a table. You go with your family. Um, and we're going to take communion standing around the tables, and we're going to, we're going to actually physically um, break bread together because there's a, there's a, a point why there's a purpose why I want us to to actually take loaves of bread that thank you miss miss Lynn uh, prepared these for us we're going to come take these loaves of bread and they're going to and we're going to we're going to actually break it in front of us not not because well this is the way that that Jesus did it no I, I really feel like it's it's so important because it's 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 illustrative of some very important truths that, that we all come to the same bread we all come to Jesus for the bread of life we all do. Same bread. You don't go to somewhere else. Jesus is the only one to come to. But also, he's, he's for all of us. We all take from the same bread. It's not like, well, there's a line over here for this, these people, and there's a line over here for these people. It's we all go to the same, we all take from the same, and we all lose ourselves in the whole. We're a body. Some are the hand, some are the ears, some are the eyes, some are the nose, some are the smelly feet. 
Uh, but we're a body, and we lose ourselves in the whole. And so, in just a few moments, I'm going to have uh, some men of our church are going to come forward. They're going to take uh, a couple of, a, a loaf or two to each table. And then you're just going to, you're going to choose wherever you want to go to it. I'd encourage you to take your family. Um, Bill, could you let the kids in and let the kids find their, find their moms and dads?